Welcome to The Long Way Around the Barn, where we discuss many of today's technology adoption and transformation challenges and explore varied ways to get to your desired outcomes. There's usually more than one way to achieve your goals. Sometimes the path is simple. Sometimes the path is long, expensive, complicated, and or painful. In this podcast, we explore options and recommended courses of action to get you to where you're going now. The Long Way Around the Barn is brought to you by Trility Consulting. For those wanting to defend or extend their market share, Trility simplifies, automates, and secures your world, your way. Learn how you can experience reliable delivery results at Trility.io. On this episode of The Long Way Around the Barn, we kick off a three-part series with J.C. Hoyer, a data scientist with a passion for learning, a passion for teaching, and an unquenchable passion for helping leaders understand the profound impacts of data-based decisions. I absolutely loved my conversations with J.C. and was surprised and highly interested when he told me how vulnerability and storytelling were two of the greatest attributes of a useful data scientist. In these podcasts, J.C. shares with us a little about his personal and professional journey as a data scientist. You know, what I feel today might change tomorrow and, and so on, right? What's sort of core component of that is the scientific thought process. And I'm not going to get too far ahead, but that's something that connects with me well and deeply. Part of the reason I'm a data scientist, you know, it's this, your vision, what you think you know today should change tomorrow because you're always discovering something more, right? And that's, that's the scientific process, right? His views on the development of data science as a body of knowledge and professional practice, how companies can realize the value of data decisions, and what people need to explore, learn, and pursue in order to become a credible data scientist. JC, thank you for taking the time to meet with us, talk with us, teach us, and just include us. Tell us a little bit about, um, we know currently that you're working in the data space on purpose. Like you love it, it's a passion, it's your journey, it's your current chapter or multiple chapters. But tell us a little bit about your journey. Like, where have you been? Where have you come from? How did you end up here and then tell us about where you are and where you'd like to be heading. Teach us about you. Thanks for having me, Matthew. Appreciate it. And I like the emphasis on the unpurpose there. So my journey started, um, I'll go way back to start with maybe, right? So I started off as an athlete, very focused on athletics. Coming through high school into my undergrad, I was going to play professional basketball. So I'm a pretty tall guy. Um, relatively athletic, depending who you talk to, right? Um, so that was really my initial journey. Um, various reasons that didn't pan out. I ended up graduating and getting my undergrad in finance is kind of where I started, right? And so there's a lot of connection into data with finance, you know, uh, um, accounting, stuff like that, right? It's not a, it's not a stretch by any means um, to get to the data side of, of that discipline. Um, so I started off in financial analytics, and then decided to go back and get my MBA. And so I was getting my MBA at Iowa State around the time that data science was really becoming um, more of a mainstream term, right? It was, it was, it was uh, 
noted as being the sexiest job of, of, you know, the decade and all that kind of stuff, you know, around this time was when it was first getting popular. And so that was kind of my initial motivation to be like, Hey, I like finance. You know, I'm getting, I'm getting, um, you know, this sort of data bug as I step out into the professional world, right. Going through my MBA course at Iowa state, I was introduced to some text analytics classes and courses, right. Which is really sort of my first real step into what, what I would call real data science, right. Kind of that, that movement beyond, traditional um, business intelligence, financial analytics, stuff like that, right? So got some exposure there. Um, out of that, uh, I started to really focus on, you know, what is this career path that I want? Where do I want to go? And how do I do this within this data science space? Um, so I started networking, you know, as, as sort of cliched as that can be, just getting my name out there, meeting people, stepping out, being vulnerable, you know, putting myself out there, connecting with different people. And I was able to... Uh, a role in data analytics with commercial real estate, which is, uh, you know, there's some traditional applications of that. There's also some, uh, from a, what I was looking for, data science sort of transformative application. Um, that was a new thing in commercial real estate at the time, and it's still a relatively new thing. That industry is rel- relatively data tight. Data is held close to the chest. It's not publicly available all the time, right? And there's, there's um, you know, ways to go around that and all that kind of stuff. But uh, that was sort of my first big opportunity and big step into this journey of data science. And so I was able to finish my MBA, start this role with uh, this commercial real estate company, leading their international uh, commercial real estate research publication. Um, so we were doing uh, analytics on Europe, on Australia, on the U.S., some other countries on the, around the world, understanding you know different uh, uh, forecasts around interest rates, around metro markets, all this kind of stuff, drivers of, of, of hotness in the commercial real estate industry across these metros and things like that. So that was sort of my real first taste of a data science professional setting. That's, you know, I'm, I'm really diving into this knee deep, right? From there, uh, this was kind of in tune with when more universities were now starting to catch up and launch their graduate programs around data science, right? So I decided to go back, earn my graduate degree in data science. Um, out of that, it was just kind of a launch pad to keep moving forward then. And, and I've always had this kind of um, notion in my mind as I've gone down this journey is uh, there's kind of this double-edged, double-edged sword of, you know, how often should you change? Should you take an opportunity? And how long should you stay in that current role before you feel like you've learned? And kind of what's that balance of, am I going too fast? Am I going fast enough? And, and to me, I've landed on that side of, you know, trying to... Uh, uh, as mystical as this can sound, you know, listen to the universe, right? Not give too much thought to it and just kind of let it, let it flow. Right. So when an opportunity comes along, you know, it's a, an assessment of, does this really feel right to me? If it does, let's take it. Right. And that's given me the ability to practice and step in the data science and, and work in the data space across a few different industries. Right. So as I've gone forward, I've worked in, I mentioned commercial real estate, financial services, e-commerce, um, now manufacturing, the energy and uh, the energy industry as well and been able to experience really different company dynamics different sizes of companies and how they approach data data science data management um you know what the nuances of of changing a culture to to be more open to being data driven what does that mean what are the challenges of that and that's really been you know, what's led me to this state uh, and, and I think what's kind of guiding me forward as well, it's, you know, listening to the universe, listening to the flow, 
accepting kind of what comes next and they're just kind of moving forward with that, you know, if, if that makes sense, hopefully. But No, that's outstanding. One of the things that struck me, and you may already be aware of this pattern and I'm just catching up to you, in order to be an athlete on purpose, you have to be aware of a universe level or a system level, whole system level set of variables. And all of these variables in the system are dynamic. Some of them might be static. Some of them are variable. And all of these things are learning new skills, honing existing skills, um, deciding to try and make some things, some behaviors, some quirks, some, some types of behaviors go away. But your goal was to take all of these system variables, understand these variables in the mix, and move forward in some way, shape, or form. Whether you tacitly recognized it at the time or not, it seems like as a purposed, goal-oriented athlete, you were already a systems thinker. What's interesting then is how you translated that systems thinking into another more, um, well, uh, defined for undergraduate school degree, finance, which was also systems thinking, also structure. Did you do that on purpose? Did you discover it along the way? That's an interesting map from my perspective right off the bat. Yeah. And I, I would say that was, um, wasn't on purpose by any means, right? It was, it was, uh, you know, it was more of a, this is my personality. This is sort of this, again, I, I it, not to sound mystical, but it's sort of that sense of like, this just seems to fit as the next step. And let's, let's take this and put myself out there and see what happens. Right. And, and I think you're hitting the nail on the head, Matthew, when you talk about that systems thinking from an athlete's perspective, right. It's having that sort of top to bottom, bottom to top sort of understanding of how does the team work? How do the pieces come together. Um, you know, what's that more macro vision, that strategy that we're going after and how do we deliver that strategy and within the sort of subcomponents, right? Um, you know, and, and something I've noticed is I've gone further in my career with data science, you know, there's, and I think this is, it's common across many disciplines, many, many practices, right? There's sort of the balance of, um, you know, those with the those with the ability to really, to be the to have that real depth of technical skill set and, and, you know, it can knock out, this is my task and I can do that task. And those with the ability to really see what's the relationship of that task into the bigger whole and connect these pieces together. Right. And I'll say from a data science perspective, the skill set to really understand how does this algorithm, this, this thing I'm working on tie into that business impact, tie into the bigger whole that's a that's a valuable skill set to have, right? And, and I'll say for for me, having both an MBA, data science master's degrees, and putting those two together has given that sort of benefit. Where you know I I can understand how if I'm you know building this algorithm, writing this code, what's the what's the impact to the business, and how do you speak to that impact to build those relationships with those that are ultimately going to adopt this output, right? That's that's the feedback that we want that we're seeking, and why you know a, a common statistic statistic for data science is that it's something like eighty uh, percent of models and algorithms never make it to production, right? That's that's a that's a uh, a huge failure rate, and a lot of that is you'll do all the legwork, the foundational work, getting it up to that state, and then go to that last mile to get adoption. And you don't get that buy-in from the business. That relationship isn't there. That trust isn't there. 
And, you know, that's something where on the athlete side, as a basketball player, you know, you know if that's going to happen more immediate. You know if I'm taking this shot or I'm passing the ball to this person and they're, they're either going to take it and shoot it and score or not, you know that they're, they're accepting your pass. You know it's going to happen. Data science side, it, it may not be uh, evident or obvious right away, and you may go through all this work you know, three months down the line just to find out that what you were building doesn't get adopted and it, it falls into this abyss of what, what could have been data science, right? That map from your bachelor's degree in finance to then doing an MBA to, to, to get a broader perspective, it almost looks like a funnel as I'm visualizing some of your journey where the athlete himself was starting out as a systems thinker. So that's already a, a wide funnel, if you will. And then finance was starting to apply structure and discipline and honing some of that stuff. But just raw talent is not enough to be a pro ball player. Just raw talent gets you down the road, but it doesn't help you last. So somewhere along the way, you said, I must focus, I must have structure, I must have purpose. Somewhere you chose that. Um, to your point, you know, listen to uh, what you're hearing and make decisions contextually. But you became aware of the need for doing something on purpose and thinking about all of the variables. You moved into the MBA conversation with a data focus. The interesting thing about the MBA, from my perspective, is it's not designed to give you the answer to all possible questions, but it is designed to make you aware of how very many different bodies of knowledge exist to just even make an operation operational and then healthy and useful. So you have this interesting blend between you want to be a competitor, a high-performing competitor who is disciplined, to someone who's now focused it to, I understand math, I understand models, I understand the value proposition of an idea, to then moving into, hey, um, there's all of these things it takes to run a business, not just data stuff, but data helps drive, equip, enable, educate people to make decisions. But there's all these other things as well. They all require data, but they're all different types of behaviors You've walked into this data role being aware of the need for systems thinking, of discipline, knowing that you're not the only person in the company with a brain doing thinking, but then also realizing that the things that you're creating need to be relevant to all of the other people in the business, or else it inadvertently supports that 80% of all models never make it to production. 80% of all shots taken never making it into the basket, that would be a fairly brutal statistic as a pro ball player. So in the data industry, that seems like some people are getting a lot of forgiveness, if you don't mind my what I'm saying there fairly directly, is 80% as an industry number? That's pretty tough, dude. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you're, uh, you're hitting the nail on the head, Matthew, right? And you know, I think the... The mindset with with data science, with AI, right? On one side, there's a lot of buzzword, a lot of media coverage of it, right? That drives a lot of it. And and, and while the media coverage can be hyperbole sometime, the foundations of it are real, right? And the reality is that I think a lot of organizations, a lot of industries want to jump to, uh, let's just throw an, throw an algorithm at it. Let's just throw machine learning at it, right? And it'll work without really realizing that the foundations, the data foundations underneath of that 
the quality of that data, the governance of that data, the culture around managing that data, that is what drives the success of those 20% of models that get into production. It's coming from having robust foundations in your data, right? And, and that's that's probably the, the the biggest distinction there is that, you know, any any model, any analytics that you're doing really is a small, small set that once that data foundation's in place, it's uh it's much easier to iterate, experiment, prove value to your to your your uh, uh, business partners, your stakeholders, and and uh, have a shorter sort of putt to get to that sort of adoption and, and you know push through the end zone with that. And that's I think what gets lost in that you know that eighty percent that doesn't make it to production. Um, you know as much as part of that's maybe because of the relationship with the business, well, that relationship struggles because of the complexities that you're trying to go through on the, on the data side and, you know, any, any of the confusion around why is it taking so long? You know, why can't you just push the easy button? All that kind of stuff comes with that sort of messiness in the underlying data. Right. If that, if that makes sense. It's the sausage making conversation, right? It's, have you ever been to a product demo? Many people have. Have you ever been to a product demo where all of the technical people said all of the technical things, but the people that were paying for the product development didn't understand a single word that was spoken? Like, I know you said things. You seemed very excited about them. You seem confident. That makes me confident. I still have no idea what I just bought. That seems like an easy gap that it could exist in the data science world to the executive leadership world inside a company, for example, for all of the executive leaders out there that are making decisions based on a single pane of glass or a dashboard, or they've got a lovely, lovely dynamic Excel spreadsheet with wonderful graphics on one of the pages in the workbook, for people that are trying to distill a whole business down to a single pane of glass, they may or may not be interested in the sausage making so how have you found, given all of your background and your awareness of these situations, how do people, how do you bridge this gap between I've got this data science stuff and these guys are just looking for pie graphs? How do you get to this? How do you become relevant when they're only using a single pane of glass? Yeah, yeah. And, and that is, in many ways, the core of the challenge, right? That's the art. Um, and it really it, it comes from it's the relationship building, it's the conversations, it's the it's the honesty around and the vulnerability of letting these stakeholders know, you know, if if you want if we want to step forward into you know becoming truly more data driven, changing the way we think about our decision making, how we're leveraging you know the term data as an asset, data as a resource, and so on. What does that mean? The reality of it is you, you need to find that balance between that single pane of glass and the guts of making that sausage. And you have to pull back the covers a little bit on that. And, and the term term I use, it's the art of the possible, right? So being able to kind of set the stage of this is the art of the possible. This is what we can do if we have this strong foundation underneath of it, right? Um, and kind of starting at that, you know, here's the shiny object and now let's peel it back and dig further into this and, and, and make that journey known of what's needed to get to that sort of that vision, that art of the possible. And now let's go and resource and attack these sort of subcomponents that let us get that far, right? And that takes clear communication and vulnerability. Again, I, I, I use that term a lot because it's real. It's, it's 
the there's no easy button for for data science for AI for ML as many as much as you know companies and and, and uh, uh, vendors will you know push this is auto ML this is uh, you know you can point and click all that kind of stuff. Um, there's a lot of work that goes in underneath of that to make that work and work well for you know changing a business changing the way they operate right and it's it's again it's giving that kind of clear vision of what can we bring from a data science and advanced analytics perspective to the organization and then laying out in in honest terms these are the steps that we need to take where the gaps are and how we can start tackling that because it's that vision that can hook someone and then uh, going down that journey on how do you how do you fill in those gaps to get to that that's that's the key right and, and making the partnership known right so set expectations, manage expectations, and in all cases, communicate and over-communicate. Correct. Iterate and iterate, right? The, and iterate. The, 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 you know, maybe one of, the, uh, one of the key things I like to do when I, when I enter into a new organization, it's go around and, and have these data science roadshows. So meeting with different groups, different departments, and, and just educating them up front on this is the data science thought process data science project process and what does that mean and how is that different from maybe traditional software development or traditional um, uh, engineering and things like that right you know our, our journey it's it's the data science means experimentation means iteration means going down a path learning something and then having to go back three steps and do it again right and so it's not it's not a linear process all the time but it's very circular and it's very iterative and even when we get to the end of that path we produce something that that thing we produced may need to be reinvented a couple months later, or or you know you launch a you launch an algorithm and a pandemic hits and what was driving that algorithm no longer has as much meaning because of the new environment, right? So you have to go and rebuild that algorithm again and relaunch it again because there's new information being fed into it. There's an interesting parallel inside organizations, which I imagine you've already seen and noticed because of your bachelor's and your master's. The idea of financial modeling, modeling itself and forecasting, whether it's a go get a brand new vertical market, whether it's segment a market, it's create a new product and create demand for the product. The idea of finance has been around for a long time. And it's understood by most, it's discussed in undergrad and grad school, and even if people don't go to university of any kind, everybody's familiar with, you need to make more money than you spend or else you're upside down, you have a problem, you won't last long. But if I want to live for a very long time, I need to forecast. In other words, I need to say, based on the things I know today and the things I think I know about tomorrow, what will it take for me to get from where I am to where I need to go? That forecasting idea, that's an old idea. And it's in companies already today. And I've seen it done wonderfully, and I've seen it done horribly. Um, and the difference was communication, where somebody took the time to say, look, man, based on these 15 assumptions and these 17 system variables, which I don't control any of them, and based on the things you think you want to be when you grow up 19 months from now, here is version A, B, and C of my forecast. And people tend to accept that as, okay, given all of the knowns and the unknowns, this makes a lot of sense. You made me feel good. Okay, goodbye. In the data space, it seems to be similar, but I wonder if it's just a new enough idea that people don't understand what they're buying yet or how to use it yet. And so when you mentioned that 
let's just grab some ML, let's just grab some M or some AI, let's just, you know, grab that little algorithm and put it into my Excel spreadsheet. I wonder if people don't fully understand exactly what it is and what to do with it and how to make best use of it right now. You know, I think I think you're correct in many in, in every aspect of that. It's uh again, it's sort of the the shining light on a hill, shining object that's sort of lingering out there that I want to grab onto it. It sounds great, it sounds cool. Um and and again, and not to discount it, right? It, it's it is ML AI is real, the the expected benefits of it are real. The readiness for some organizations to really adopt it may not be as real, right? And I think that's a key concept to keep in mind. Depending on the organization, um, you know, there's a, a can be a lot of ingrained processes, ingrained mindsets. You know, I'm I'm going to look at the data to justify or or justify a position I already have, the confirmation bias, right? I already know what I want to find out. I'm going to go find it in the data, right? So if I apply an ML model to that and it tells me something different, I'm not going to trust that because I have I know what I already think and that's that's what I want, right? That's that's one of the the walls that you know as we build data science into an organization, how do we tear that wall down to change that mindset to overcome that confirmation bias, the selection bias that may be present, and and it, it may be built on years of experience. You know, this has worked for me for 30 years. Why would I change now? You know, well, there's more more data becoming available. The industry may be changing. The environment's changing. We're in a pandemic. We're in a whatever it is, right? That you know, that's that's the promise of of data science is it's quicker, more consistent, uh, 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 many ways more accurate decision making that can come out of those those models, those efforts, right? It seems like to me. Um, based on my own journey, based on the increasing numbers or classes of data that we continue to collect that we didn't use to collect. I mean, we collect so much more data today than we ever did, and it's only increasing. That at some point, the idea of a super smart financial controller or CFO being able to take in all of this multi-dimensional data and make sense of it in order to create a credible forecast. It seems like the role of the manual forecast will become less and less and less reliable as the multiple dimensions of data that we collect continues to increase and not even at the same rates of speed. My guess is, is that we'll just be in denial about the reliability and our ability to forecast multiple dimensions in, in Excel, as opposed to recognize that, hey, I want to do the same thing, but now with all this data, maybe I need to go figure out what this ML thing is, or what is this AI thing, or it just seems like the magic of the forecaster needs to change. You know, what, what I think of when, when, you, when you mentioned that, Matthew, it's, I don't know if I'd call it the magic of the forecaster, the mindset needs to change maybe, it's the base skill sets that go into this, you know, go, go into forecasting, go into modeling. It's the understanding of, of, you know, as I obtain more data and, and try to translate it, translate that into an action, translate that into uh, a conversation that a leader can take an action on. Right. What what are what are the skill sets I need to be able to make that translation happen? Because the the data, the ML, the algorithm, as companies become more refined, more robust in their ability to 
to build that foundation of data, you know, that will continue to improve and and become, I think, easier to get to. This is my forecast. And it's a more robust forecast because I'm taking in, you know, so many more variables, many more features into this forecast, and I can account for uh, have an expectation of different anomalies and things like that to occur. But my role as a forecaster now has to be, how do I translate that into meaningful action for the business and tell that story and and convince the leaders of that action, right? I think that's something where academically, and in, 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 you know, there's, there's many boot camps and things out there that build the technical skill set for data science. But what's still catching up, it's that communication, it's that relationship building, it's how do I tell the story in a way that's actionable and that drives trust in my forecast in what I'm doing, right? In my mind, at least, it is similar to the technical people who demo a technical, they say technical things during a product demo, but somehow they're completely irrelevant to the people that are supposed to be benefiting from that whole journey because they didn't say anything that mapped. Let me tell you about your five-year goals say this, your current books say this, your forecast says this, we've aggregated this data. After we take that data and look at it multidimensionally and we forecast it out differently, you have to take all of this giant universe of stuff and not talk about it and distill it down to something that's just plain relevant. In other words, what I think I've heard you say so far is, you could be the smartest data scientist on the earth. And if you don't have the ability to communicate, you're in that 80%. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, Matthew. That's that's the key right now. It's that communication, I think, that drives a lot of that adoption. Now there's there's you know, there's pockets of of you know, I think industry spaces where you know that may not be as necessary. I think of, you know, if a company Companies founded around data, and data is at the core of their their organization. You know, think of a startup. Think of you know any put your tech company in here, right? Generally speaking, I think they have a stronger data culture because their product is data. But when you're talking about the many of the industries that are out there, manufacturing, um, uh, energy, in many ways, things like that, where it's you know you're stepping into a legacy company, a company that may be a hundred years old, and it's going through this transition to become data-driven, that's where a lot of that challenge and, and even more so the emphasis on that communication becomes pertinent to the success to, to changing that 80% failure rate to, you know, 50% to, to, you know, majority of these are getting, getting implemented, right? Um, that's where, at least in my experience, right, um, having worked in those industries that, that have some of these legacy old companies, um, that's a key to success. It's that communication, that relationship building. So that 80% really may more accurately reflect just an inability or a lack of success in setting and managing expectations and communicating. It's not a failure of science. It's a fa- It's just a failure of us being people. Like pe- being a person is hard and communicating is hard. Uh, it's the science where we can find peace <laughs> yes, right. Exactly. It's. It, uh, I mean, to to put it another way, the art is what's hard. The science is is it's straightforward, right? I mean, I I know I know the math. I know the, the linear algebra, all that kind of stuff. You know, and that's that's the way it is right now, as far as we know. You know, um, but it's the art of now translating that into something meaningful. That's 
that's a, a big component of it. So, so I'm John. I haven't done the things that you do, um, and I'm not even intending to assert that I know all of the things that you do. If I'm able to start in a greenfield project, then I'm able to do all of the things the way I think they should be done, and anything that doesn't happen as it should is on me. Oftentimes, though, to your point, we end up in legacy situations where the company is 100 years old, 140 years old, or it's been under the leadership of a particular C-suite for the last 45 years, whatever. In all of those situations, that does represent probably growth. It represents constancy or continuity. It represents a good, strong company, all the things. But it also represents the way things are done. And it might also then be an additional challenge. So for me, if I need to take all of the data in an enterprise and take that all together and meld it together into a single pane of glass for a C-suite for them to say, ah, I can now make a decision, the journey to get to that lovely single pane of glass like Star Trek, just walk around, hold it in my hand, and I can see the entire stinking ship on that one screen is ridiculous. Because I could have 105 different repos, data repos out there in various states of uh, hellacious, dirty data to, oh my gosh, just flush this stuff to, that is gorgeous, where did that come from, to stuff that's in data prisons, to stuff that's outside the walls. I mean, in the worlds that I've walked, to get to that single pane of glass, that journey is not peace. It's just a lot of stinking work. What's it like for you? <laughs> I, I chuckle a bit at that because... Um, it's, it's chaos <laughs> in many ways, right? <laughs> that's, that's the reality of it because, you know, especially, uh, though these, these, these old mature companies uh, generally, I don't want to, you know, put a blanket statement out there, but just given what I've worked in. Right. Um, and there's nothing, it's just the reality of it. It's, you know, it's the way they've gotten here. They've been around, you know, a company may have been around for a hundred years. They found success somehow to be here for a hundred years. Right. Um, but the the result of it can be from a data perspective that you have many different systems, applications generating data, data that's uh, you know it's not built for data science. It's maybe built for reporting. It's 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 term I give it is data exhaust, right? It's it's just it's not really in a usable format. And there's knowledge gaps. You know there may not be the person that built the database may not be with the company anymore. But we're still using the database, and but no one has any real knowledge of what's in there. There's data flowing into it, but how do we map it and get it out? Things like that, right? You know, and, and the path that has been useful in trying to work through that, drive a transformation into something more modern, more updated, more usable for data science. It's finding those those champions within the owners of that data, right? So where that data is owned. Going out and, and and again, it's back to communication. It's back to the art, but it's finding those champions, and in, in, and not to get too granular on this, but you know something that's worked for us is it's working to establish kind of a, a true data council, data stewardship, where you have this representation, where you have instead of data being this byproduct, this you know it doesn't have a forefront, a, a key role in the in the business. It now takes a step in the forefront. The, the 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 ownership is established and the connection to the goals of the organization are built out. So now I have this council of individuals representing the different parts of the business that are generating generating the data and they have a voice in how is this being used and have transparency and clarity into this is how we would like to use it. Well, the conversation started then, well, this is what we can do 
Uh, I didn't I didn't know that. Well, that's interesting. You, you start that 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 communication through that council through that stewardship program. That is the first step to getting to that foundation of a robust sort of uh, a data layer. That now you can build that data science on top of, build that AI that ML on top of, and and, and start that transformation. Right. Um, what can be I think challenging in that, depending on you know the goals of the organization, it's the 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 time and resources needed to really do that, and that that's a mountain to climb in itself. Is how do you convince of that story that this is what we need to get to that next step with data science, AI, ML, all that all that kind of stuff, right? That's that's a a journey in itself. So, do you find in your profession that you're asked or expected to, or you find the need to differentiate or define? What is data science? What is machine learning? What is artificial? And do you have to differentiate these things? And how would you define that for us today, it, it, knowing full well that you may have broader and deeper things to say than we're all prepared to receive? Yeah, you know, I, I think of it this way: it's not uncommon. You know, any anything that's new. Um, you know, there's a fair number of examples out there where you know three different people. You ask them to divine something, they can have three different definitions of it, right? What does this mean to you? And it's the same thing with with the data science space. The way I break it down is is in a couple ways. Right on on one level, in terms of data science and data analytics, it really falls into three categories. There's sort of the, the diagnostic descriptive sort of category pillar, which is many companies will have some version of this, right? Where where you know maybe we have a SQL server, we can do some reporting. Maybe we we visualize it in Power BI or Tableau. We can see what happened. That's really that sort of descriptive diagnostic. The predictive element. That's where we're taking that that sort of understanding in the past and now giving some expectation of what's to come. You know, we're we're guiding your decision on what we think's going to happen, uh, putting some bounds on that. You know, confidence interval things like that. And then the third sort of element or pillar is the prescriptive pillar. This is where we're taking those predictions, now giving that recommendation. What's the action that we think will happen because of our understanding of the data of the environment? If we, you know, if we tweak this lever or turn this knob, we can drive some outcome, and that's our prescriptive recommendation. Is we're gonna we're gonna decrease price ten percent, we're gonna increase quantity sold thirty percent, right? Elasticity. That's that's kind of at a high level how I start to define that is those three pillars. And when you step into specific roles, you think data scientist, data analyst, machine learning engineer, data engineer, decision scientist is out there now. There's all these different sort of roles and, and variants that are beginning to evolve. And it's in many ways, you think back 20, 30 years ago with software development and sort of that path of defining more niche roles and areas of that of that discipline, data science and the data space is kind of going through that. The key difference goes to, you know, I think about defining data analyst, data scientist, and machine learning engineer. I think those are three important roles to understand in this space. And data analyst is is very much on the side of I'm working with the business stakeholders to understand a a particular problem in depth and and sort of lay the ground uh, the the landscape of this is what we have in the data and how maybe we can help answer some of that right it's it's uh, a lot of it's in that sort of descriptive side of those you know three pillars i mentioned data science 
that's really that algorithm building. It's the prototyping. It's the experimentation. It's going out and we're taking this chunk of data, adding more data to it, doing clustering on it, doing segmentation, exploring this in any great depth and perspectives and twisting and turning it, right? And we're, we're trying to find that, that algorithm, that mathematical equation where you can input data and get an output that gives us a prediction or some sort of prescriptive action. That's data science. And then the machine learning engineer, that machine learning engineer, that's who's productionalizing that data science output, right? So now you have kind of data analysts kind of defining and understanding data science, building on that understanding to let's put this into an algorithm and machine learning, taking that algorithm and putting it into production. Those are three distinctions that I think get, get misunderstood, but are important to understand, you know, from a, from a leadership standpoint, from the design of what do I need to do data science? Those are skill sets that are essential for success with this. So. What's interesting to me, though, is how, how you're differentiating the data scientist from the machine learning person or ML ops. And that it sounds like um, when you were talking about the data scientist, it sounded like a software developer to some extent to me or a developer, which is I'm taking this idea and I'm building it into a real thing. Then there's these other folks that they take it out and move it into the wild. And that's an interesting thing to me because uh, oftentimes in like the software development space, the people, there's the business analyst who may have contributed to the definition of done or the the direction. Then there's the folks that are building the thing. But oftentimes those folks that build the thing are the same folks that have to move it out into the ether and then live with it and support it and evolve it. So are you suggesting that is not the same thing in the data space? I think you're tracking with me, Matthew. I think you got it right, right? It's with, with... The data side of it, a lot of it is because of that iteration, right? And, and sort of the, I don't want to say burden, but the role of having to integrate this back into the software development process, right? And manage that integration and, and uh, maintain model performance. So you think of, you know, I think of if, I, if I'm building an application that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to build a web app, for example, in many ways, I can build it, put it out there, and it, and it lives, right? There's, there's quality testing, things like that. But the application I built is, is pretty well-defined, serves its purpose, right? If I'm building a, a machine learning algorithm and putting that into production, once that's put out in the production, that's not the last version of that that will exist. And so the infrastructure to be able to monitor that, maintain that, score that model, understand drift in that model. So what I mean by that is, is monitor for this used to be 90% accurate. Now it's 50% accurate. Well, what happened, right? So that's the importance of this sort of machine learning engineering ML ops side of this. It's taking that off the plate of the data scientist who's focused on, let's prototype this. Let's go and explore this world of data that's out there and keep iterating on this and let the ML ops, ML engineering tie this into software development, into the applications that exist in the organization, into uh, into the rest of the IT space within the organization, right? That's probably the key distinction there and, and, and why it's slightly different, I think, from the data side than what it might be on the software development side, if that makes sense. So these things sound actually very amazing. And JC, I mean, basically, I'm going to have to cycle on this a little bit because... At first, I thought you were saying the data scientist was like a developer, but then that developer typically 
um, has to go and live with the things and iterate on those things, whereas it seems like you're suggesting these guys are going to invent, create, evolve, but then someone else is going to move it into the ether. So that makes it almost sound like one version of the word architect in the software world, which has its own loaded, you know, English is hard, right? Quality, what does that mean to 10 different people? Cloud, what does that mean to 10 different people? Same thing. Um, so here's what I'd like to do, because our time's coming to a close for today. Um, I don't think we're anywhere close uh, to talking about uh, a lot of the more, even more interesting things. For example, you being a practitioner, how would you advise, coach, encourage, teach, or lead other people to introduce uh, data? The whole point of data, data science, data management into their organization. What are those steps? What does it look like? What is good communication? I'd like to talk to you some more, and I'd like to do that in our next session together. So we'll save some of it for the next time. But first and foremost, I wanted to thank you for taking this time to teach us. Thank you for uh, having me here today. And, and uh, you know, we're just scratching the surface on this. And I'm excited to continue the conversation and, and uh, go from there. The Long Way Around the Barn is brought to you by Trility Consulting, where Matthew serves as the CEO and president. If you need to find a more simple, reliable path to achieve your desired outcomes, visit Trility. To my listeners, thank you for staying with us. I hope you're able to take what you heard today and apply it in your context so that you're able to realize the predictable, repeatable outcomes you desire for you, your teams, company, and clients. Thank you.